0: i got to get this turned on or maybe it is turned on. Okay, Galatians, just Galatians chapter number one. Good to see you. I see many folks here that have already come in for the conference. I'm just curious if you have come in for the conference early, can I see your hand, please? Can I see your hand? Okay, great. Uh, Different folks. I think we've got Arkansas. I saw South Carolina. I think Illinois. And uh, I know there's some others in here. Colorado back there. So different places. Uh, Maine over here. So different folks all across the country. And then on our team we have somebody from California. Isn't that unbelievable? California. We give him a hard time about that. But anyway, we're glad that he's here with our team. And uh, certainly uh, just looking forward to uh, a great few days. Let me encourage you, if you haven't made plans to come to the conference, let me encourage you to do that. uh, Because we are looking to the Lord to meet with us, to encourage us, to teach us truth. And I don't know about you, but I believe some of the truth of this conference I am excited about. I believe it's life changing Life-altering, certainly um, exciting truth. And we're coming not hoping in the English way that it will be a great conference, hoping in the Bible way it will be a good conference. I think many of you know the difference. Hope in American uh, just means, well, it might be. It would be like saying, I hope the Milwaukee Brewers are going to win the World Series. Like, we all know that's not going to happen. Okay, but you might say that. Okay, X. I I feel like the brewers have taken over the Cubs' role, okay? Because used to be the Cubs would make you think they're going to do something and drop the bottom out. Now we know the Cubs aren't going to do anything, but the brewers kind of make you think they're going to do something and then they drop the bottom out. Okay, but anyway, uh, I don't know where that came from. Uh, but... Um, but anyway, I, we're not hoping that way, we're hoping in a Bible sense. We talk about the blessed hope, we're not hoping we're going to get to Heaven, we know we are, and uh, there is a blessed hope. So, we're hoping this conference will be a, a great help to each one that comes, and really expecting God to do that, in that Bible sense. So, uh, just uh, thank you for joining us, those that have, have traveled to be here. We certainly are looking forward to God meeting with you, encouraging you. you. And uh, and those are the hometown folks. It's good to preach to you. And I will tell you, I don't even know who the hometown folks are anymore. (laughs) I've been gone too long. I've seen a lot of new folks around, and I'm excited about that. So, if I come up to you, welcome you for the conference, you say, I'm from here. Okay, just tell me what happened, how God brought you here. It certainly is exciting to see many new faces here at Falls Baptist Church as well. Uh, Many of you know I travel, and uh, so I'm gone a lot, and I've been here at Christmas time, Then I've been gone here for several weeks as we've traveled uh, largely down south. So, I'm adjusting. I know you think it's warm at 40. I try to tell Southerners when you're in Wisconsin and it's been a long winter and the first day hits 40 you're not shocked when you see people in t-shirts and shorts. You know I'm walking around at 40 degrees. Uh, southerners can't get that. They can't understand that. That's winter time. But uh, uh, things are relative. So I'm trying to uh, trying to, even though with the 40 degree weather trying to get a little warm here. But, um, uh, but it has uh, certainly traveled a lot so I'm not always here. So it's always good to see what God's doing in hearts and Trusting that uh, even here at Falls Baptist Church, if you haven't made plans to be at the conference, let me encourage you to come. And uh, I believe God will give you something. Each service, I believe, is something that, I was. we heard the, uh, the speakers talk about, and God burdened them, it's uh, certainly like, man, I can't wait to hear that message. So, uh, I guarantee you some good stuff is coming. And uh, open your heart about that matter. Okay, the book of Galatians. I'd like to cover some material I've covered before here, but I believe it was a conference several years ago, and I've learned this, that sometimes not everybody at Falls Baptist Church gets to every conference, and sometimes not everybody's heard everything. And this really is foundational where we're going here this week, and uh, some wonderful truth uh, that we're going to be dealing with. But I want us to kind of lay a foundation with that, and out of the book of Galatians. I want to take a rocket ride through the book of Galatians. Now, um, how many young men out here feel God's calling your life to have a preaching pulpit ministry? Can I show your hands please? Okay, a lot of young men heading to preaching. There's uh, two kinds of hands that were raised. Okay, some of you are going to be pastors. And if you did a series on Galatians, uh, it would probably take you, who knows, six months, maybe a year. Who knows, okay? Uh, but an evangelist, we do it one service. What do you think about that? Okay, yeah, this is our series on Galatians here. We're going to take a rocket ride through the book and give you an overview and uh, it's just a little different gifting Occasionally I do series, but, uh, uh, but anyway, this one will just be a one-service, uh, one-message uh, truth. But I want us to walk over the book of Galatians because it really is dealing with something that is extremely exciting, and that is the Gospel. Now, let me just tell you this, if you got the idea, uh, man, I'm thankful for the Gospel, I'm thankful for what the Gospel has been meant to my life, and you look at the Gospel as past tense, you do not understand the full ramifications of the Gospel. Can I say this carefully? The gospel didn't stop when you got saved, it started. And I'm telling you, it's still good news. Sometimes I call it the gospel to the saint. I think we all know the gospel of the sinner, hallelujah. None of us will ever underestimate the fact as hell-bound sinners, we heard the good news that although we deserve hell, Jesus took our punishment and payment, and by trusting Him, we can have eternal life and sins forgiven. Wow, that's good news. But if you're a defeated Christian who finds yourself constantly being drawn towards sin, it is good news to hear that the same Jesus who died to keep you out of hell is the same Jesus who died and resurrected to keep you out of sin. See, that's the gospel to the saint. Now, Satan hates the gospel. If you haven't figured that out, he hates the gospel. And he is always attacking the gospel. And that's why I believe very clearly God inspired the Apostle Paul through problems he was facing in a certain region with churches he had planted. God led him to write the book of Galatians in defense of the gospel. You know the amazing thing about the book of Galatians? There's no commendation. These churches do not get a commendation. Now, if you know anything about the uh, Pauline epistles, he's always commending them. He starts 1 Corinthians with a commendation. Now, I don't know about you, when I read 1 Corinthians, I'm thinking that was a bunch of rascals down there in Corinth. Man, they had nothing but problems. And yet they found a commendation, but not Galatian churches. You know why? Because you don't mess around with the gospel and get commendation. The gospel is central to everything about the Christian life. If you get the gospel wrong, you got everything else wrong. It's foundational. And yet, even as Bible-believing Christians on our way to heaven, we often get the gospel wrong. And Galatians was written primarily to believers. You know, many times people approach the book of Galatians as a book talking about the gospel of the sinner, and certainly that's there, no doubt about it. But the emphasis of the book of Galatians is not primarily to the gospel of the sinner, it's to the gospel of the saint. You say, how do you know that? Because nine times he calls them brethren. (laughs) Brethren. These are people who are saved. They got saved right. In other words, the gospel was preached to them. They got saved. You know what happened? They got skewed understanding of the gospel of the saint, and it messed them up. And it will mess you up too. Your Christian life will not work if you do not understand the gospel to the saint. And so, the Apostle Paul pens this, and we find in verses 6 and 7 a very interesting uh, uh, couple of verses. Now, let me just say this uh, 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 maybe ahead of the, the book here. I, I remember several years ago uh, Brother Halstead down there in Kenya asked me to come and teach, uh, to preach the opening. And they said, by the way, while you're here, why don't you teach a class, okay? And, and so, uh, we, uh, we talked about it, and we agreed I'd teach on Galatians. And I did, uh, man, I, I worked through the book of Galatians, and I mean, I mean, I checked out all the Greek, and all the, all the tenses, and the moods, and the, and the voice, and, and the first class conditions, and the second class, and the third class conditions, which by the way is fascinating, even the book of Galatians, and all this linguistic stuff. Walked through the book of Galatians, and I uh, went there and taught that. I think it was one of the worst things I've ever done in my entire life. I can't teach if you put a gun to my head, okay. But I can preach. I did preach a few messages, okay, on the book of Galatians. But I learned a few things walking through that that I want to share with you tonight. And I came to understand that verses 6 and 7 are the purpose statement of the book of Galatians. Why was Galatians written? Well, here it is, 6 and 7. He tells us. Look what he says to the Galatian believers. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, you see some different things that are helpful. One, of course, is the word gospel, and that's what the book of Galatians is all about. It's about the gospel, but it's about another gospel. Now, the amazing thing about this, it almost seems like Paul's talking out of both sides of his mouth, doesn't he? He said, hey, listen, I'm amazed that you guys have gotten to another gospel. Oh, the why, by the way, it's not another. Now, which one is it, Paul? Is it another gospel or not? Well, most of us know, perhaps not all, but... There's two different words there for another. One English word, but two different Greek words. The first word another is the word heteros. You've gotten to another gospel, a heteros gospel. Now, one of the things with heteros, it can certainly help us understand because we use it in English. There's a lot of Greek words we use in English, but the word heteros is used primarily with the word heterosexual. As Bible believers, we believe in hetero, heterosexual marriage, which means we believe in marriage between a man and a woman, because the word heteros means another of a different kind, which assumes that men and women are different. You know men and women are different. I'm talking about how they think. We both have brains, but they're totally wired different. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, all the college students look at me, what? Yeah, okay. Yeah, a man's brain, somebody has called it a waffle, I call it a file cabinet, but a man's brain has compartments. And let me help every young wife, help you understand your husband. You've got to figure out which compartment he's in. Now, there's a bunch of drawers. You've got, the, you've got the fishing drawer. Some of them have a fishing drawer. Some people have a Wisconsin Badger's drawer. Some people have a Green Bay Packers drawer. Uh, some people have a Killing Bambi's mother drawer. You know what I'm talking about. yeah? <laughs> Everybody's got these drawers. And uh, they're in one drawer. You know, I, I, one of the, uh, Every guy has a food drawer, <laughs> I can tell you that. We are foodies, okay? Yeah, we got a food drawer. And there's one drawer every man has. Now, ladies, it's going to shock you. Nothing's in it. Nothing's in it. Absolutely nothing. You ever had your your husband just looking blankly off into the distance? And you look at your husband and and you go, what are you thinking about? And he looks at you blankly and goes, oh, nothing. (laughs) He means it. He means it, really that's true. That's exactly what's going on, nothing. Okay, uh, that, for a woman that's absolutely impossible. But anyway, I have nothing going on. But, uh, uh, and a man, a woman's brain, the best way, some people call it a bowl of spaghetti. I, I, I put it like this, way. it's a bowl of spaghetti, but the spaghetti is electricity, okay? Everything is touching everything, okay? But anyway, it all relates somehow, I'm not sure. They're never in one drawer. They're in all the drawers at the same time. If I can use a computer analogy, we men only have one window up at a time. A woman, who knows, 15 million windows are up at the same time. <laughs> but anyway, all that aside, back to the I wish this, was one of those, this is not a couple's retreat, okay. <laughs> but uh, I kind of felt like we were going there for a moment. But the word heteros simply means another of a different kind. It's, it's a different kind of gospel. It's not the same. It's different So the gospel Paul is dealing with is not a true gospel, it's a false gospel, it's a heteros gospel, it's another gospel, but it's different. And then he says in verse number 7, which is not another, and that's a different Greek word, it means another of the same kind. So what the Apostle Paul is saying, listen folks, you've gotten into another gospel which is different and it's not the same. So it's a very strong verse of scripture. And if you'll notice in verse number seven, he gives us another clue about this gospel, but there be some which trouble you, and don't miss this, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now the word pervert is a very interesting word because it literally has the idea of reversing it or turning it to an opposite. So the idea of a heteros gospel or this false gospel is that it is an opposite gospel, (laughs) Now, opposites are usually pretty easy to identify. We'll come back to that in a moment. So, we're going to call this false gospel, this hetero gospel, or this opposite gospel. That's what we'll call it here. But we'll use a word that is not in the book of Galatians, but we use in theology, and that would be the word legalism. Now, one of the reasons I hesitate to bring up the word legalism is because everybody's got a different definition. But if you put all the definitions out there, probably the most prevalent uh, definition of a legalist is this. Anybody stricter than I am? That's not a good definition. (laughs) You know, let me just say this. Legalism is not about where you draw the line. Don't miss this. Legalism is your attitude toward the line. Everybody has a line. Even loosey-goosey evangelicals have a line. There's certain attire you can't come to in their church. There's a line. The question is, what's your attitude toward the line? See, that's what makes you a legalist or not. It's not whether you're strict and conservative or whether you're loose and liberal. The question is, what is your attitude toward the line? Because everybody's got one. Okay, so we're going to talk about that here in a moment. So, that's the word we'll talk about. So, we're going to talk about in the book of Galatians tells us the attitude toward the line which is the very important uh, thing that we're going to just be dealing with here in a moment. And then in a moment we're going to see that there's a reactionary gospel. People get into a false gospel and there's a reactionary gospel and they miss the true gospel. So we're going to deal with three gospels tonight. We're going to deal with the false gospel, we're going to deal with the true gospel, and we're going to deal with the counterfeit gospel. And We'll talk about that in a moment, but I don't want to get uh, get, you, get too far ahead. So let's talk about the false gospel. And here's what I'm going to ask. And if I could do this tonight, I hope nobody will be offended on this side of the auditorium, but I'm going to ask everybody on this side of the auditorium tonight to be legalists. Could you do that just for a moment? Yeah, say somebody, it's not too hard. Okay, but anyway, I'm going to be legalists. Don't worry, it's worse for you guys. Okay, so uh, here we go. Uh, Let's just look for a moment at what uh, legalism is. Let's start in verse number 21 of chapter number 2. Now, remember that the false gospel, or the heteros gospel, is an opposite gospel Okay, so whatever the true gospel is, this is opposite. Now we'll start to see this in verse 21. There's a lot of places we could show it to you, but let me just show it to you in verse 21 of chapter 2. I do not frustrate, here's one of our key words about the gospel, the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Okay, so the true gospel is about grace. It's unmerited. God graces us, but the law is the divine means for the false gospel. We do have time to fully develop it, but in verse number 1 of chapter number 3, I've walked through this before, but I want to walk through this and we're going to just answer some questions. We'll start in verse number 2. But notice what he says there in verse number 1. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Now I want to just stop for a moment. That's pretty blunt. What if I got up and said, Oh, foolish Wisconsinites. You say, man, this is going to be a great week. This is going to be great preaching. You know, we think, well, that's pretty blunt. You have to understand Galatia was a, a region and the Apostle Paul is exercising. I'm going to tell you something, friends. You get the gospel wrong, and every person in this room who loves the gospel, it ought to exercise you. There is something, listen, I will tell you, one of you guys, all you guys out here are evangelists. I will tell you the key to knowing your evangelist, and that is you absolutely live, die, and breathe the evangel. It's embedded in our name, the evangelist. We are all about the gospel. And we get exercised when we see the gospel being misrepresented or being warped or whatever. Okay, it's all about the gospel. Okay, so uh, taking that for a moment, uh, let's now, the, the Apostle Paul is exercised. You can certainly see this. And he's asking a series of questions and I'm going to look at in verse 2 and 3 and I'd like you to answer the questions. I'd like the whole audience to answer Paul's questions because I think you can answer them correctly. Verse number 2. This only would I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer is, how did you get saved? By? By faith, the hearing of faith. Okay, that one's pretty obvious. Next question. Are you so foolish? Don't answer that one. Okay, next one. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is no. You're not, you don't mature by fleshly effort. You mature by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what activated the Holy Spirit in the first place? Works or faith? And the answer is faith. Okay, we're learning something that might be a help to us. One of the key understandings of um, this uh, legalism we could call, or this false gospel is, legalism is, don't miss this, flesh-dependent. It's works-dependent, self-dependent, however you want to put it up. We'll just use the word flesh-dependent. I'm going to use the word flesh tonight in all three Gospels, so we'll just use that. So, I'd like you over here to be the legalists, and I'm going to say legalism is, and I want you to say flesh-dependence. Can you handle that? Okay, we're going to find out in a moment. If you're really doing your job on legalism, you should have it right together. Okay, so here it is. Legalism is? Flesh Man, that was great. That was good. Okay, so that's what I'm going to come back to you, so be ready. I'm going to try to throw you a few curveballs along the way, so you just be ready when I come back. Okay, so legalism is flesh dependence. Now, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about how to recognize that. But I think most of us understand that flesh dependence doesn't work to get you to Heaven, and flesh dependence doesn't work to grow in your Christian life. See, sometimes I'll put it this way, I've said this before, but how much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before he can't get saved? So here's a guy who really wants to get saved, so how much self-dependence can he have before he can't get saved? Just way too much self-dependence. And the answer is, how much self-dependence? And the answer is, he can't have any. Anybody, let me put it this way. If you're out here tonight, and you're trusting yourself in any measure to get to heaven, have sins forgiven, you are headed to hell, you need to get saved. (laughs) See, self-dependence won't work at all. So, how much self-dependence can a seeking saint have? He's sick of defeat. He's sick of just living a very poor Christian life. How much self-dependence can a seeking saint have before he will not have victory, he'll stay in his defeat? And the answer is, how much? And the answer is, yeah, we weren't as enthusiastic about that one. Any amount. Can I say this carefully? Any amount of self-dependence sets you up for failure. I often say this to teenagers, particularly on Friday when they respond to our Friday invitation. I try to teach them something. Failure is God's reminder that you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. Say it again. Failure is God's reminder you cannot live the Christian life on your own strength. Now, one of the things about legalism, it is performance focused. See, self-dependence is, I got to do this. So it's very focused on performance. And so let me just give you a few thoughts on how to see whether or not Here's here's a clue that you're into legalism, and that is you compare yourself with others. That can go both ways. It can be, I'm just such a bum, or it can be, well, I'm doing better than that guy's doing. Because I want to tell you something, friends, the true gospel does not focus on our performance. The true gospel focuses on Jesus. (laughs) But the false gospel focuses on self-dependence. And performance. And so you can get caught into measuring yourself with other people. You can get caught up in comparing yourself with other people. You can also, what do you do with somebody else's sin? A legalist does not know what to do with it. So they often sometimes condescending. <laughs> well, I'm doing better than that guy. Look at that guy, he's got problems. So I'll give you a little idea. Legalism is focused on the performance. And many times what has to happen to a legalist is they know in their heart they're not measuring up, so they have to package themselves as someone who they are not. They act like they're doing better than they are because every man out here knows you're, uh, you're, knows yourself. You know your weaknesses. You know what other people may be expecting. And sometimes you have to package yourself as something you're not just so people will think you're okay when you're really not. <laughs> see, legalism is all focused on the performance. Okay? Now, not that we're going to see in a moment that obedience is not a big deal. It is. We're going to get to that. But we're trying to help us understand uh, the issue. So, uh, legalism is, let me just go back. Legalism is? Flesh yeah, it didn't do as good that time. See? Okay, let's try it again. Legalism is? Okay, there you go. There it is. Flesh dependence. And it will not, you can't cut it because all of us know that without Him we can't do anything. We heard a great message this morning on abiding in Christ. So, we know that that's not going to cut it. Now, many of us in this room know that theologically. What I'm trying to do is help us practically. Because sometimes we need to realize, you know what, I've slipped back into legalistic thinking. May I say this, I believe it's pretty much true for everybody, in the human psyche, what is intuitive in the human psyche is legalism. (laughs) You know, somebody's put it this way. There's one, there's basically two letters difference between Bible Christianity and every religion in the world. Every religion in the world says do, 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 and the Bible says done. The religions of the world say try, 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 and the Bible says trust. See, there's just that. So, it's important for us to recognize that that's that's where just the human psyche leans toward flesh dependence. No doubt about that. Okay, now go to uh, chapter 5, verse number 1, you're doing a great job, Five, chapter 5, verse number 1, and let's see the true gospel. I'm not going to preach a full message on this. Uh, last year I believe preached, preached 0-100, you can certainly go back and listen to that if you never have, because that would present verse number 1 in a full sermon. Verse number 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So now you're going to see another another contrast here between liberty, which is the true gospel, and bondage, which is the false gospel, or legalism. Legalism always leads you into bondage. You are never going to be free. Now in a moment, the overreaction leads you into bondage too. Now... It's important for us to say this, if I could just say this middle aisle is going to be the true gospel. Obviously, we don't have anybody seated here. We'll just make this the true gospel. And the true gospel, could I say this, is God dependence. So, over here is, so we could say, this would be flesh, dependence but in the center aisle it's god dependence now understand that the true gospel is simply this i don't know how to explain it except to say the true gospel is that jesus is enabling so we're looking to jesus depending on him and he's enabling us to do what we could never do unless he enabled us to do it and we're not doing it out of constraint we're doing it because we want to Amen. and it's a wonderful thing okay we're going to come back to that in a moment because Certainly, that is where the grace is. That's where true grace is in the true gospel. So, there's liberty there, and that's where the focus is on Jesus enabling us, loving us, giving us what we know we cannot, uh, what we don't have in and of ourselves, love for others, love for him, and God doing a miraculous work in our heart. That true gospel is supernatural. It's when God intersects with man. It is the place of grace, Now, let's go then to the the counterbalance, and I'll probably refer back to the center aisle in a moment. So, now let's go over to this side, and we're going to see there's a reaction to legalism. Now, let me just say something about legalism, and I don't want you to miss this. Legalism doesn't work. So, there is always, let me just say this, there is always, let me say it again, there is always a reaction to legalism. And the trouble is, there are a couple of ways you can go. And unfortunately, not everybody finds the true gospel. There is an overreaction to legalism that Paul deals with. Now, look at verse number 13 of chapter number 5, and you see it right here. It says, for brethren, notice again, who is he talking to, saved or lost? And the answer is, he's talking to saved people. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, I want to stop for a moment and ask you a question. If somebody, in the name of liberty, is indulging their flesh, is that liberty? And the answer is no. In what we might call, it's redefined liberty. Could we say it's counterfeit liberty? It's actually bondage. Okay, so we would call that flesh indulgence. If you're in the name of liberty indulging your flesh, that's flesh indulgence. Now we've got a word for that theology, we call that license. So license is, and I want you to all say it, flesh indulgence. You think you can do that? The legalists did great. Probably you're not going to do that great because license people, I don't have to do that. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? i got a liberty, I don't have to do what the preacher tells me to do. Okay, so I don't know if it's going to work with the license crowd here, but I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm going to say license is, and you say flesh indulgent. Can you do that? Okay, so here it is. Licenses? Is yeah, there it is. Yeah, you got it. Flesh indulgence. Now, um, let me just give you an illustration that might help us put all three of these in perspective. Let's imagine, oh, we don't have an American flag in here, but let's imagine I had an American flag and I put it here on the platform and there was an eagle on the top of it. I've done this illustration in Canada. And uh, there in Canada, I've had to say, what's on the top of your flag? A maple leaf, a hockey puck, what's up there? I don't know. Okay. But anyway, uh, so uh, Tim Horton coffee cup. Okay, whatever. Okay, what's ever up there? Okay. So, uh, we know we got an eagle on the top of our flag. And so, let's imagine we've got a tall American flag here. And um, uh, we uh, find a young person out here about three or four years old. Find one that's a little more on the outgoing side of things. And So, we bring them up here, maybe a young man and three or four years old, bring them up to the flag. And... Then I instruct the young man, I want you to touch the American eagle. And let's imagine he's an enthusiastic kid, and he starts jumping, but I want to ask you a question, is he going to even get close to touching the eagle? And the answer is, no, he's not even going to be close. Pretty soon, even he's young, he's going to come to the conclusion, I'm wasting my time. So we began to chant his name, and maybe I put an offering plate up here, and people start putting money in, and if he touches the eagle, we'll give him the money. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're going after this thing. We're motivating this kid. And uh, so, maybe he starts jumping again. Pretty soon, somewhere along the line, I can guarantee you this, he will come to the conclusion, I'm not touching that eagle anytime soon. (laughs) And you know what had happened at that moment? Who knows? His lower lip could start to tremble. You know how little kids are? That little lip starts trembling. A tear starts to course down the cheeks, and we're all feeling awful. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a kid cry on stage? I had one daughter who used to do that playing her violin. Okay. But anyway, Yeah long time ago, won't say who, but anyway, yeah, there's nothing like that, so a little, little, little trembling lip, a little tear starts coming down, we're all feeling awful. Now, there's two things that could happen. One thing can happen, he could just run back to his parents and it's over, illustration's done. He gives up, I'll never touch that eagle, I don't care what that preacher said, I'm done. Or we could maybe, if we thought of it quick enough, we could compromise the standard. We could take the American flag, we could compromise it, we could lean it down, and that little boy would come over and touch the American eagle, and we'd cheer, and we'd give him the money, and uh, how, but we all know we compromise the standard. He didn't touch that eagle, at least not it, like it was intended to be initially. Now, we have just illustrated two Gospels, Legalism is the little kid jumping, trying to touch an eagle he'll never touch. License is compromising the standard and coming over and touching a compromised standard, but we all know that wasn't the real standard. We compromised the standard. You say, preacher is the third option? Yeah, there is. I could leave the standard upright. I could look out in the audience looking for someone strong, over six feet tall, built well, rippling muscles, you know what I'm talking about? I'm not seeing anybody. Okay, but anyway, I'm I'm looking for somebody that's huge, you know, big, huge muscles. I can invite them up here and say, that little boy, do you believe so-and-so can lift you to touch that eagle? He puts fascination in his eyes, looks up at this big guy and nods, little effort, this six-foot-plus you know, weightlifter just scoops him up, lifts him, touches the American eagle, and we all cheer. Now, please hear me. We didn't compromise the standard, but you know what that little boy found? A power that was not his own to lift him, what he could never do unless that power lifted him to do it. That's the gospel. That's the true gospel. It's when there's divine intervention, when God gets involved in it all, now, I will tell you, friends, one of the great tragedies of legalism is many people react to legalism, and they go to license, and they miss the true gospel. Now, there's one way to know you're in the true gospel. There is, don't miss this, humility. Humility. And you know what the humility is? Listen, people who are living like Pastor talked about because John 15 is the true gospel, if people living in that reality know how weak they are, know how they defeated were in their past, but they're no longer defined by that. They're so excited about what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do in their life, they can't stand it. <laughs> they're humble. They, not, they don't think they're anything because they know they're not. It's kind of, look what Jesus did again. They wake up in the morning, and wonder what Jesus will do today. Man, it was great what he did yesterday. I wonder what I'll do today. There's humility with that. Because there's an understanding, I can't do this in my own strength. And there's an encouragement when they know how to deal with sin, because when sin comes up in somebody else's life, they say, hey, the same Jesus that has given me victory is the same Jesus you can trust to give you victory. See, they point him to Jesus. Totally different mentality with the true gospel. Wow, people excited about what God's going to do. Okay, but there's an overreaction many times to license. I don't know if you've seen this. I, <laughs> I've lived long enough. I was raised in a pastor's home and uh, have lived in... in uh, across the Independent Baptist Movement, I've been in all kinds of different, listen, there's all kinds of different flavors out there in the Independent Baptist world. I'm just telling you, there are all kinds of different flavors. Uh, just all across the country. Good people, don't get me wrong, good people. Thank the Lord for them. But I've been in all kinds of different lines. And, and from time to time, you're traveling, you'll come across a church, maybe you'll meet a family, and they're real conservative. and But maybe in talking to them, you're a little bothered a little bit by just some of the attitude or whatever, and, and wondering, I don't know, I hope this isn't the wrong thing. And, and then maybe you come Back a couple years later, you find out the family left the church, went down to the loosey-goosey church on the edge of town where you come as you are, leave as you were, anything goes, type church. You're thinking, what happened? Now don't miss this. They moved, don't miss this, from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. Did you notice anything common about those two things? The flesh. See, sometimes people say, what happened? I mean, they were so conservative. Now they're so loose, they threw everything out. What happened? And the answer is, not much happened. (laughs) They moved from one kind of flesh to another kind of flesh. (laughs) They really didn't move as far as it looks. (laughs) Let me just say this. Flesh dependence always leads to flesh indulgence, unless you meet Jesus. It is the true gospel, friends, that allows you to live a Christian life of joy and peace and fulfillment and satisfaction because legalism won't work. you got two choices. You either give up on the whole thing and walk away or the standard gets compromised or the other thing you do is you look to Jesus to enable you to do what you never could do unless he enables you to do it. Yeah, the true gospel. And there's a humility in it, and you get excited about it. Hey, what God did for me, He can do for you. Man, I got all kinds of issues. and Look what God's doing for me. He can do it for you. Wow, that's an exciting place to be. That's where the true gospel is. Now, let's go back to the license for a moment. Because obviously in the the license you have flesh indulgence. Now, I, I want you to see this, because I don't want you to miss this. I really don't want you to miss this. It does not matter whether in flesh dependence or flesh indulgence, they both do not work. Because in the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, and you notice we've been walking through the book here, there's only six chapters. In the sixth chapter, there is a stunning verse that I believe once we've covered, what we've covered makes a little more sense. Here it is, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh, you help me out now, reap, help me out now, corruption. Now listen, don't miss this. You can depend on your flesh, you can grit your teeth, you can work hard to live the Christian life, but you will reap corruption. Or you can react to that, go over here, you can throw the rules out and define yourself by how free you are, and you can indulge the flesh in the name of liberty, but it won't work either. See, whether you're in flesh dependence or flesh indulgence, they both result in corruption. Now, I mentioned earlier that over here what I call license is what I call the counterfeit gospel. Now, counterfeit is sometimes hard to underst- to see, okay? For instance, we use the word liberty. It's a great word, but it's, if it's wrongly defined, if liberty is an occasion to feed your flesh, it's not liberty. Now, are there any other Bible words about the true gospel Bible words that are also, the Bible says, have the possibility of being misdefined? And the answer is, well, yes. The Bible says the grace of God, anybody know, can be turned to... Oh, lasciviousness. Years, about 30 years, some years ago I remember reading a book on grace that was well known, very popular. If I mentioned the name of it many people in this room would mention the name. But I, I don't want to get distracted by mentioning the name of the book. But it was on grace, had two words, and one of them was the word grace. I got the idea reading that book that grace was permission. Anytime you read a book that describes grace as permission they got the wrong definition. Grace is not the permission to do what you want to do. Grace is the power and the desire to do what He wants you to do. (laughs) See, that's what grace is. Interesting book on grace, and it never mentioned Titus chapter number uh, 2, I think it is. That uh, the grace of God denying ungodliness of worldly lusts. Didn't deal with that verse at all. You think if you had a book on grace, that would be in there? Because the grace of God teaches us. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, etc. So, uh, didn't even have that verse in the whole book because that didn't fit its talking points. It wasn't a biblical understanding of grace. Grace is not permission, it's power and it's desire. It's not God constraining you to do something. It's not doing it because I have to. It's doing it because I have to. (laughs) There's a difference, isn't there? You see, friends, why do you do this Christian thing? Because you got to. Or because I gotta do this. I wanna do this. See, that's what grace is. It gives you desire to do it, it gives you power to do it. it, gives you the victory. It's exciting. Again, grace is, man, I wonder what God's gonna do today. Do you wake up in the morning thinking, man, I wonder what God's gonna do? You should have seen what God did yesterday. I'm telling you, friends, I'm gonna just to be honest with you, I probably shouldn't do this. I live for God moments. You know what? Natural moments, well, everybody has natural moments. I like God moments, don't you? I like it when you look back and there's no way you can describe what just happened unless you put God in the whole thing. That's the only way you can describe what just happened. It was a God moment. I love God moments. Our team lives for God moments. I'll tell you, any preacher lives for God moments. Every Christian should live for God moments. And God moments simply come, don't miss this, when we live in the true gospel. (laughs) God dependence, depending on Jesus to do, enable us, to grow us, to help us understand who we are in Christ. A lot of things we're going to be talking about this week. I'm not developing everything tonight because we've got a whole conference we're going to develop it. I'm trying to lay a foundation. See, that's what grace is. But you know what? Over here, grace becomes permission. You turn it for lasciviousness. In other words, grace becomes a veil for you to do what you want to do. There are a lot of people today who define grace that way. They talk, listen, you go to churches, talk about faith, grace, liberty, but I'm telling you, friends, they misdefine the words. The Bible says you can. Not only can you turn liberty for an occasion of the flesh, and not only can you turn grace for lasciviousness, the Bible says if a man say he has faith and have not works, guess what? It's dead. You can talk about faith, but don't miss this. If it lacks obedience, it's not faith. James chapter 2, and I don't have time to preach an apologetic. I've done it here many times. But James chapter 2, I believe, is not talking about saving faith without works is dead. It's not saying that. It's saying Christian life, faith without works, isn't faith. (laughs) It's dead. It doesn't work. It's uh, lifeless. It has no power in it. So, friends, when it comes right down to it, you can can misdefine faith. You can minimize obedience. And so over here, guess what the counterfeit gospel does? It uses the word liberty. It uses the word grace. It uses the word faith, but it redefines them in some measure or another. And obviously, you can have different measures of this. It's counterfeit. So, got to ask you a question. Is something easier to detect if it's an opposite or if it's a counterfeit? Let's imagine... Uh, your wife says to you, "Honey, I've got a hot tea and a iced tea in the kitchen. Would you go get the hot tea?" Now, I will be honest with you: we men are usually pretty dense, but we can get that one. We can get that one. We can pick up the hot tea and bring it in because we get that's opposites. But counterfeits are a little bit harder, aren't they? So I could, um, I could pull. A, I don't think I have a counterfeit bill in here, but if I did, I, I could, uh, I could pull out a bill here. And uh, if it was a counterfeit, we probably wouldn't know the difference. Now, you would probably, if I, let's just imagine you were, i uh, pull this one out. Okay, let's imagine uh, you were a, a proprietor and I came in to buy something and I handed you this bill, even from a distance, would you take it? <laughs> you say, Preacher, what is that, Monopoly? It's got the, no, it's got the key, queen on it. It's actually Canadian. And it's kind of plastic, you can't even rip it. It's really pretty tough stuff. And uh, you say, why do you canary- carry Canadian currency? Listen, friend, if you travel like me, why wouldn't you carry it? You cross the border, you can go to Tim Hortons, pay cash. Right here, I'm telling you, you don't have to worry about it. See, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Unbelievable. Just ask some Canadian, they'll enlighten you on uh, the best coffee on the planet. Okay, but anyway, yeah. That one's pretty easy to identify. I try to pull that one off on you, you're going to think, no, <laughs> that's not American currency. But if I took out a counterfeit bill, it would be a little tougher, wouldn't it? All I'm simply saying is, as Christians, legalism is a whole lot easier to identify than license. License is way more subtle. It minimizes obedience. It focuses on feeding your flesh and using liberty and grace as covers to do what you want to do. And there's no power in it. You know why? Because it indulges the flesh. And I will tell you, friends, back when I was young... There were a few scandals among conservative men, and some people said, yeah, there it is. Yeah, see all this, you know, and they walked away from it. Well, I will tell you, if you have flesh dependence, there are going to be scandals. But you know what we've seen in the last few years? The scandals largely don't come from conservative men. Now the scandals are coming from broad, what I call loosey-goosey evangelicals. Man, I won't mention names, but I can mention prominent evangelical after evangelical after evangelical with unbelievable moral scandals. And all I'm here to say is, it doesn't matter if it's legalism, and it doesn't matter if it's license, they both don't work, and they both reap corruption. <laughs> and let me just say this, gang. Gang. Listen, young people, you can be here and you can walk out the door and you say, I'm gonna do what I want to do, I don't watch what I want to watch, and, and I can do whatever. You you can feed your flesh. You can even come up with a theological reason why you're going to do it, and you can find somebody who'll say it's okay to do it. I mean that's not hard today. The internet is loaded with people who will try to give you a Bible reason why you can do anything. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's correct. Well, you can find that, but you mark this. You use that as a cloak to feed your flesh, and I promise you, it will not work. You will reap corruption. The chickens will always come home to roost. It will not work. You will not only pay in your generation, you'll probably pay in the next generation because the flesh is a bad deal whichever way you cut it. And I believe what Galatians is telling us, flesh dependence doesn't work, it'll corrupt you. Flesh indulgence doesn't work, it'll corrupt you. And what Galatians is saying, get back to the old-fashioned gospel, a trust in Jesus, the fact He died, shed His blood, rose again, trusting the fact that He has provided your identification with Him. You're dead to sin, alive unto God. And my friend, the same Jesus you trusted to keep you out of hell, you can trust Him every moment of every day to keep you out of sin. And it's not constraint, you're doing it because you want to. Because you love Jesus. You stay away from certain things because, well, I don't think Jesus wants me to do that. Now, we're going to wind it down to this. Okay, and I'm just going to hopefully get this. So, let me just make sure we got, going to set you up and we're going to put it all together and we'll be done. Okay, so over here, legalism is? (laughs) Not too bad. It's a little sleeping, but anyway. Okay, here it is. License is? course we talked about the true gospel what is we might call it liberty liberty is God dependence I don't have it here in the center aisle but nonetheless we could say that okay we could also go this way remember this we could say over here the false gospel or we could say the opposite gospel or uh, uh, the uh, another gospel over here we could say the counterfeit gospel okay so we got all that and the true gospel here in the middle now one other thought is what about how does the flesh relate to the true gospel Okay, one, and this is this, and we're done. Look at verse 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If license is flesh indulgence and legalism is flesh dependence, don't miss this. The true gospel is flesh crucified. Flesh crucified. In other words, people who follow Jesus will come to certain crises in their life when the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, will say, nope, that's not helping you spiritually. You need to deal with that. You need to crucify the flesh. Now, I'll be honest with you. Years ago when I studied this passage as a young man, I came to verse 24 and I thought to myself it's going to be passive in voice. Now, that is not strange to this book. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. That's passive. In other words, like this friend, you didn't do anything to crucify with Christ when you got saved, it automatically happened, and I would think very few of you people, when you got saved, realizing at that moment you were being identified with the crucified Lord Jesus And Galatians 2.20 was true. Probably very few people realized that in this room. Yet, when you got saved, it happened, because it's passive, You were crucified with Christ, whether or not you knew it or not. The moment you got saved, you're put into Jesus. So his crucifixion became yours. Romans 6, don't have time to develop it. So when I came to Galatians 5, 24, I thought, well, that's got to be it. It'll probably be passive, and it's talking about positional truth, and we'll talk about that as the week goes on. But as I studied it, I came to realize it's active. Not only is active, it's aorist, and I don't have time to go into it. There would be an interpretational battle here on what exactly, the, how you'd view the aorist. And, uh, but, but one way you can view the aorist is, is kind of a series of crises, so to speak, or, or like a dotted line as I was taught in Greek years ago. And so um, I kind of feel like that may be the emphasis here. They that are Christ's. Those that have sold out to Jesus, clearly the passage is talking not about just salvation, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's clearly talking about that walk where you say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm doing what you, I'm going to depend on you to enable me to do what you want me to do, a surrender independence, okay, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. The idea is those that walk the true gospel road, there's a series of flesh crucifixions in their life. You know I love talking to older believers who have the glow of heaven on their life because every one of you them can tell you a series of crises that came into their life where they decided to follow Jesus and in doing so they had to crucify the flesh. Years ago there was a there was a man who was studied the death of the five missionaries in down in uh, the Oka Indians, Jim Elliot and his comrades, and studied it, and he he finally got a, somebody to take him in a plane over over the area, the bend in the river where they had been killed. And he was flying over that area, he looked down, and said, "Isn't that the bend of the river? I've studied this. Isn't that the bend in the river where Jim, Jim Elliot and his friends were killed?" And the airplane pilot said, "No, that's that's not where Jim Elliot died." And or uh, it was actually Nate Saint he was talking about. He said, isn't that the bend of the river where Nate Saint died? And, and uh, he said it a couple times. Each time the, the airplane pilot said, no, that's not where Nate Saint died. He said, I'm sure it is. I, I've studied this out. That's got to be. He said, no, I'll tell you when Nate Saint died. He died in the state of Minnesota. Well, there's an invitation at the end of the invitation, he came down to his local church and he knelt at the front. And he said, okay, God, I'm done living my own life. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. He said, that was the day that Nate Saint died. And every Christian in this room that walks with Jesus knows there's a series of flesh crucifixions that got you to where you are now. Right. You're not perfect. None of us are. But you understand a whole lot more than you did a few years ago before those flesh crucifixions. God will bring you, it's not that you bring yourself to those, God brings you to those. Where you make a decision, you know what? I'm not going to make provision for the flesh anymore. I'm done with that. I remember one pastor telling me, he said, the key moment in my life was shortly after I was saved, somebody came to our church and preached on music, and he said, I gathered up all my records. He said, I went out to the burn barrel. I've got to explain a few things. Many of you out here have no clue what a record is, and many of you have no clue what a burn barrel is. Okay, we have got a few folks from Southern Alabama; they can help you out on that one. Okay, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and he said, I got, gathered up those records, went out to the burn barrel, and he said I was done with those things. And he said I threw all my ungodly worldly music in that burn barrel. He said I don't believe with all, I believe with all my heart I would not be in the ministry if I had not thrown that music away. You know what he was doing? Crucifying the flesh. There's not a person in this room who walks with God for any length of time who could not point back to several times where God brought you to a point where you saying, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm not going there anymore. I'm sick of that. Remember I was preaching on this truth several years ago in a church not too far from here. The pastor got up with deep emotion, had tears in his eyes and said, congregation, he said, uh, there's two decisions that if I had not made, he said, I would not be in the ministry. He said, I got saved in junior high. He said, my parents were broken up. He said, Sundays I would spend with my dad. He said, I, I started going to independent Baptist church on Sunday morning. and he said, my dad would pick me up right after church. He wouldn't go to church with me, but he picked me up right after church. We'd go see a movie and spend the rest of the day together. And He said, one day I said, I, I got under such conviction. I went to my dad and I said, dad, uh, I don't think, can, can we do something else? Instead of going to the movie theater, he said, Every time I go to the movie theater, I'm watching things that, now that I'm a Christian, grieve the Holy Spirit. Could we do something else? He said, The second decision was this. He said, I went to my dad and said, Dad, I need to be in church on Sunday night. He said, You can come with me, but would you take me back to church on Sunday night? He said, If I had not made those two decisions, I would not be in the ministry. You know what he's talking about? Crucifying the flesh. When you follow Jesus, you're going to have to crucify the flesh. (laughs) Because there will be moments where Jesus is going to say, that's not helping you. That's hindering your walk with God. That's got to go. And you know what I believe is killing us today? I will tell you this, and I love millennials and Gen Zers. I've given my life to that age group. I'm thankful for them. There are many things about them I appreciate. But one thing I fear for these generations is this, there's very little preaching on crucifying the flesh. And it's almost looked at as something negative. But crucifying the flesh is not negative. negative. That's what you do when you are sold out to Jesus Christ. You say, I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. It may be walking down an aisle. You may be making a decision, sitting in front of a television because God convicted you of something you just saw. And the Holy Spirit of God says you need to make a decision right now. You need to say, I'm done with that. I'm not going there anymore. Calling somebody who's spiritually responsible for you and saying, God just led me to a decision. I want to be accountable to you. I remember in this auditorium a man coming up to me as a pastor, a good man. He said, Brother Van Gelderen, would you keep me accountable? He said, we've been watching stuff on our television. I know I should not let our family watch Every time I'm with him, I ask him, how's it going with the TV? Now, I'm just telling you, friends. You know what that is? Crucifying the flesh. Now, I don't know where you are on it. You know, all of us are on different journeys. God knows where we all are. I recognize that. God may be dealing with you about something that's much more fine-tuned than someone across the auditorium who's just been saved a few weeks. You tracking with me? God knows what He's going to bring you to. Aren't you grateful He doesn't do it all at once? <laughs> it's a series of crucifixions, but I promise you this, if you follow Jesus, you will never outgrow flesh crucifixions. You know why? Because man, that flesh, and there's new manifestations of the flesh, and technology has a way of throwing new stuff at us, you ever, you know what I'm talking about? And we got to make new decisions. Say, so I'm done with that, I'm not going there. I will just say to everyone in the room, where are you, to, as we begin the conference, legalism, liberty, or license?